everybody on Facebook. Thanks for uh, being part of Untrumped final episode. We are uh, super excited for tonight, or at least I will say I am super excited for tonight. Adam, I'm guessing you're excited for tonight as well. Everybody on Facebook. Thanks for uh, being part of Untrumped. It's going to be great. Final. And um, the nightly the final. Sorry, the weekly feedback loop got me. Yeah, I know it's 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 my own it's my own fault. Uh, yeah, uh, are you are you super excited for tonight? The way that I am super excited for tonight. Yeah, I am. This has been this has been quite a ride and learned so much. Excited to do another one with you. And you know, there's a lot less anxiety on week seven than there was week one. I know. So. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Well, uh, uh, a heart filled. Uh, thank you to you again, Adam. I know I've said that each week, but for me, especially this time, it's yeah. uh, meaningful. People have asked, hey, how did you decide on seven weeks? So I'll tell the story. People are interested in this kind of thing. When Adam and I were first talking about this some nine or 10 weeks ago, that uh, he would, uh, was willing to partner on this, on this venture of me trying to figure out how a Christian leader could support Donald Trump as president of the United States. We talked about our calendars and what day of the week would work. And we didn't have any frame really at all. We just knew multiple weeks. And uh, Thursday night ended up being the best week for us. So we said, well, what Thursday could you start? And that was a few weeks out. And then we looked and said, well, then there's Thanksgiving. So let's just end the Thursday before that. And it turned out to be seven weeks. So unlike, you know, uh, the Bible and its use of special numbers uh, to the numerologists in the world. That's, Perfect and wholeness and complete. This was pretty much, uh, these are the seven weeks that work. So I think a seven week conversation is what we will endeavor into. So, yeah. Uh, well, I'm looking forward for to our night of Shabbat where we can just rest on our Sabbath yes. conversation. On the seventh week, yeah. Untrump rested from all their labors and just talked. That's right. For and all just, the Bible nerds out there. Talk. Well, uh, you mentioned it last week, and I'm committed to it. I think at some point we will do a live revive, re revamped version of this uh, live in San Antonio sometime. In the oh, not, you're welcome. In the not too near future, we will we will endeavor in that. Okay, so on our final night, uh, to to be a spoiler right at the top, no one's getting voted off. <laughs> I, this is how much I don't know about reality television. You can't I, vote I me out of my office, Doug. I live here. <laughs> no one is going to be uh, is going to get that card they get on the Amazing Race that says um, you've been squashed or whatever it is they do. There's going to be none of that. Uh, and I, what I wanted to do tonight, if 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 you're up for it, Adam, is for each of us to reflect on this process and uh, to give our suggestions to other people who want to engage in topics that are similar to this or into practices that are similar to. This. Good. In, over the next number of weeks, there's a lot of people who are going to be together in circumstances and yeah. situations with family and other people uh, where they're going to feel like they're in their own um, uh, weekly Thursday night conversation like this. Yeah. So if we've learned anything at all in our six hours together, maybe that would be valuable for us to reflect on uh, what it's, what it's happened to us, how it's happened to us and, and what's going on that way. So, um, How's that for a plan? That's great. I, I have a lot of compassion for people that go back for Thanksgiving and have horrific conversations with family members. So I'm all for that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any general reflections on how this, uh, this process has gone on what your experience was in it? Anything as being the one who was uh, on most weeks put in the, on the, on the focal point of having to explain yourself any, any general reflections about this process. And then I do have a couple of specific questions I want to ask yeah. as we, as we yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm relatively familiar with extemporaneous speaking and being put in, you know, situations where I have to explain myself and think on my feet. So, I mean, that's, that's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, mm -hmm. But from a general perspective here, you know, I, I felt exceedingly honored by you. Um, I felt valued and respected. And that just sort of we established as we were sort of getting to know each other prior to doing this live, but that's carried through during all of the episodes for me. And so that's been a significant, I think, piece to this puzzle uh, for people to, to have. I mean, I feel from you a genuine affection and you know, you're either great at making that stuff up or it's real. Uh, and I think that 
that that's a, that's a real component to having healthy discussions with people is that first you have to have an actual genuine affection for humanity in general. Um, yeah. And, right. and that, that, that I think that this, what I consider to be a pretty successful series of conversations, insightful for me at least, uh, was really mediated by that, um, the way that you really set the tone for that and, you know, demonstrated that. Um, and I think that that really, that really was a, a considerable foundation that was laid. Um, cause we covered some, you know, stip, sticky topics and, uh, you know, some pretty serious disagreements and views on the world, but it never devolved. And I think we were both committed to, to that. So that's sort of my first reflection that this doesn't work without genuine affection. And that's not something you can just calculate in your mind. It's got to be cultivated um, yeah. in community and over a series of time. So I appreciated that about, about you and this time together. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I've, I learned long, long ago that authenticity is key. Once you fake that, you've got it made. So, that, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, but I do think you're right. I think, you know, there's this, there's this sense that when you find yourself in a, in a pressured situation or a conflictual situation or a, a, a situation in which you feel that you don't have all the, 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 your, your, your regular support and faculties available to you. Right. One thing that starts to come out for all of us is that our general view of humanity ends up being put on this search on this particular person or certain set of circumstances. Yeah. Right. We just, there's this ability we have as human beings to kind of become cataclysmic about things and the way we're feeling about a whole lot of other issues end up finding themselves in uh, this conversation. And so I, I think there's a few things people can do about that. What one of those is to cultivate a sense of safety with your sense of the world that really helps, right? When, if, if someone can feel like, Hey, the, the world can be a fair place. Then when they're in a conflictual situation with someone, they can feel that fairness is available to them, right? Mm. If, if we really hold and, and, and are convinced uh, within ourselves that um, fairness is not an option uh, or is only going to come if it's, if it's carefully pursued, that puts us in a, in a really different set of situations. The other is to do whatever we have to do to remind ourselves of a truth we believe to be true, even if we don't hold it. So if someone doesn't feel safe about the world and doesn't feel that honesty or, or um, the, the, the ability to be listened to, if they don't believe that's true all the time, there are some practices people can do literal uh, mantras or things you repeat or prayers that people say or breath prayers or all kinds of things that you do to get yourself to a point where you are reminded of the truth you want to be true in you more often than it is. Mm. So I, I think that that act, and, and that's what in the spiritual worlds, a lot of people call a lot of inner work, Yeah, right? You know what the inner narrative is or figuring out how to cope with the inner narrative if it's not treating them well for the, the narrative that they want. And um, I have found with you uh, that, that you've been a, a, a exceedingly a complimentary partner for me in that in that process. There, there was never a moment where I felt like if I expressed my view of the world or my dismay or sort of what I was thinking that I was um, that that was going to produce something out of you different than what uh, I hope the world is. I mean, you 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 you're exceedingly gracious about letting me rant on or to ask a pointed question or to uh, make three large statements in a row and ask you to simply respond to those things. Right. Um, that, uh, so, so that was very helpful uh, for me in trying to form my, my own way. And I know that for a lot of people, they're going to end up in kitchens or around tables in a restaurant or driving in a car with someone over the next month uh, or two that, those things are not available to them. A partner yeah. that feels yeah. like they're in on it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that, that can be a significant challenge, you know, and um, a lot of that depends sort of, I don't know, my practical advice in that having quite a bit of experience being in those kinds of situations. Uh, you know, there, there's always two parties, of course, that are engaged in a conversation unless it's just a monologue and then it's, you know, a waste of time. But then it's church. Yeah, then it's church. Let me just talk at you. Or you can do some of that communal rolling midrash that we love so much. Um, mm -hmm. But to really, I mean, 
be settled in, in yourself first. Um, I was sort of reflecting on a T.S. Eliot poem earlier today, heard some people talking about it, and went back and reread it. And there's just this story about a woman who's at a cocktail party and she's talking about all the disastrous things that are in the world. And T.S. Eliot, or the, you know, the, the first person narrative of the poem, begins to ask her some questions. And sort of the conclusion that she arrives at is, with all these disastrous things in the world, she just sort of says, man, I really hope it's me. I hope I'm the problem. Wow. And, and the, the narrator says, why do you hope that you're the problem? That seems like it would be an awful burden. And she says, essentially, she's like, well, if the problem's the world, I don't have any hope to change it. If the problem's huh. me, then there's something I can do about it. Uh, and and that's, that's a very significant piece of the puzzle for me because there's a lot of things going on out in the world and there are, are a lot of problems. But if you start first with this look at yourself and say, all right, what is my part in this? And who am I? How do I live in the world? How do I situate myself in consciousness, community and spiritual connection so that I live in the world in such a way that I'm being authentic to myself? And that's a struggle to come into that level of maturity and identity. But, you know, if you've got some sense of yourself grounded in the world, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we can never extract ourselves from community and the, the world around us. But mm -hmm. to be first self-aware and grounded in who you are, then when you begin to engage in conversation with people that, that you know, you can, you can start seeing that other people right. don't move in the world in that, in that exact manner. Uh, and you're able to more engage with them. So if I'm not anxious about my own ideas and positions, if I'm not scared or uncertain or catastrophizing them, it's a lot easier to hear other people that are catastrophizing them and not lose my mind. Um, right. Yeah. Isn't that, is, isn't that true? Like hearing you say that always takes two, I, I agree. And if both people feel 100% responsible for how they're feeling in that engagement, yeah that yeah. changes that changes the scenario right, right? when it's um and th that's been the other thing that i've experienced here with you and, and i think is really helpful in any untrumping that goes on any sense that someone's going to be in an untrumped environment and by the way we, we untrumped for us as a sort of double meaning this particular topic that we've been talking about for seven weeks was the choice to vote for and to continually support donald j trump the 45th president of the united states but the notion of untrumped in and of itself is it's it has its own little magical meaning that we want to live in a way where one's not trying to trump the other over the course of these conversations. Yeah. So I think I'm going to try some untrumped series coming out of this that won't be about Donald Trump, but just this process, right, of not yeah. trumping the other person. And, and that's the part that I think has been an agreement here is I. I think we both were comfortable enough in this conversation and this conversation happening in front of people that neither of us felt like there was some great achievement if you won or were victorious in a, an argument that you were making. Yeah. Right. I never felt that you were, that, that there was a, not only not a gotcha, but sort of a, oh, point. Adam, point, Doug. I never felt like that was happening, right? Uh, unlike debates or other ways that people get into formal conversations like this that are totally built around judgment and people yeah. voting, people deciding who's listening. Now, maybe we, maybe people at home were doing that. Uh, I, I, I don't know. No one's, no one's sent their scorecard in to me. But I don't feel like we ever had that sense. I think there was something where we would move between self-expression, this is what I'm trying to say, that I had that impulse a lot, I'm guessing you did too. And then other times when you, or when I was trying to say, what is it that you have to say? I'm now trying to understand you. And those two things felt to me like they were happening in a symbiotic uh, relationship enough that was, that, that was really quite meaningful. And, and I, I, I'm not sure that every conversation I'm in has that same sense that there's not winners or losers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause I mean, that, that's one of the things that I think is so difficult about, you know, politics and the discourse in America and so much of our government's run by lawyers. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and <laughs> I mean, it's just the truth. You want to get into the Senate, you got to have a successful tort practice first. Um, yes. And I mean, lawyers are trained to do one thing and that's win and win mm -hmm. arguments. And that 
along the way uh, during the campaign, you know, that was a narrative uh, particularly that I didn't care for. I didn't like yeah. um, that we're going to win again, we're going to win at this, and we're going to win abroad, and we're going to, like, that whole narrative from Trump didn't, I didn't like it, more than didn't like it, I, you know, I thought it was kind of counterproductive, you know, because that's mm -hmm. a reduction into this binary uh, world of either or um, just yeah. at the outset. Uh, but, you know, if, if you're not trained to win, and you're you're instead, I think we have to be trained mentally and consciously by our own choices because our culture trains us to win in everything that we learn and see. But if we're if we're undergoing a mental and a rigorous emotional and and uh, social exercise of trying to understand someone through these kinds of conversations, um, then you know that's a much better position. And I I think just sort of my buddy Chris Estes gave me a really great, um, a really great thing a couple of years ago that he learned from some of his many years in therapy. Um, and uh, shout out to Chris; he's a professional therapy goer. Um, yes. And but one of one of my favorite things he ever taught me was how to put a period at, at the end of a sentence. And mentally, because we go like you're sitting in front of somebody at Thanksgiving and they're having a difficult time and they're ranting about, you know, how Trump is the greatest thing and you just think he's a disaster and they're starting to get angry and yelling and you're sitting there just listening to all of this and a way to in, in our mind say, man, they're really angry right now, period. And just put a period there instead of doing the rest of the sentence, which man, they're really angry right now. And they're a complete idiot buffoon who's ruining America because of the things that they're thinking. Like right. that may be true, you don't know, but in conversation to learn how to just say, oh, they're upset or, oh, yeah. wow, we really agree with, we really disagree with one another regarding this. And then put a period at the end of that sentence and let that anxiety kind of settle in you before you continue mm -hmm. on. Yeah, I, I, that, 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 is a, that is very real. And I think it's, it's very true. And, and one of the things I think we did well here that maybe people could take to their you know, Thanksgiving tables, I was able to, I think because of this partnership with you, to separate out my conversation with you on particular topics from my sense about how bad I think the circumstance is for the United States of America and for the world as it relates to the conversation we're having. Hmm. That that there was no sense that if we make this conversation go in the right way, it's going to solve that problem, right? <laughs> that they're two really separate things, yeah. right? That, that realization that no matter what happens in this conversation, it doesn't impact the thing that has animated me to be in this conversation and to have to differentiate between the animating emotion and spirit and desire with the conversation that we're that I'm in right now or with the project that I'm engaging in at this moment yeah. to just recognize, even though the, the circumstance has brought me into this conversation, it's not going to have any effect on it. Yeah, that's really good. I, I want to tell you a story about a plane ride to, to Rome I had when I was 20. Um, I, had, I, I saved up my money and just bought a ticket first time out of the country and I just flew to Rome to try and you know, find my medal as a man. I was studying a lot of uh, comparative religion and discovered that Americans don't have a coming of age ceremony for men. So I was determined to create one for myself. Uh, and so I just, I left the country and I got stuck from Chicago to Rome on a middle seat in the middle of everything after a huge layover in O'Hare, sitting next to a guy named Finanti Anzalone. And Finanti Anzalone, he was Italian, uh, but he was the commanding officer of the US Naval Hospital in Naples. And he had over wow. 500 people underneath his care. And he had been traveling around the U.S. with the Department of Defense talking about U.S. naval um, and military hospital operations overseas. And mm. we began to talk. And, you know, we had some drinks and talked for hours. And he told me something that I never forgot. And it's this. He said that there was a U.N. banquet in his honor in Naples. <laughs> and because of the delay in O'Hare, which anyone's flown through O'Hare, you know, it's always long delays. But because of that delay, you know, he wasn't going to make it to the banquet on time. 
And he I says, I've, I've thought through all the scenarios. He's like, man, if we, if we land in Rome and I can get in my Maserati, even if I drive 150 kilometers down the coast, I'm going to miss it. You know, I can't go charge the captain's cabin and make him speed up the plane. He said, and so he's been thinking through this, but as a commanding officer in the Navy, he realized there's things that we have influence over and there's things that we're concerned about. And the older oh, no. he got, the more that he realized, look, I need to live sort of in the proverbial center of what I'm concerned about and what I can influence. So instead of sitting there so upset that he's going to miss his UN banquet that he couldn't do anything about, he sat and he talked to this 20-year-old kid about life and philosophy and the church and this message. And that's always stuck with me because if you live your life with a bunch of concern and no influence, you feel impotent. You know, yeah. you feel like you can't do anything and rage and anger starts building inside of you because you've got no right. influence about the stuff you're really concerned about. Yeah. You know, yeah, that is. It's, a, it's, it's a painful experience, you know, but on the flip side, if you've got a bunch of influence and no concern, then you're Congress, right? Yes. And, you know. Or the president. Or the president. Well, you know, tons of influence, but no great affection for people. So really learning, uh, most of us need to learn how to grow our areas of influence for the things that we're concerned about, and then learn to say, all right, with my family now, I'm concerned about the tax rates, but I don't have a lot of influence. But my influence within my family is the way that we love, the way that we talk, the kind of relationships that get established. And instead of living outside in areas we can't influence that we're super concerned about, Let's try and live in the middle where those things converge. And I think nice. that we'll find a whole lot more life and solutions in that center. Yeah. And, and you know, that's what, that's what led to all this. Maybe, maybe for me, at least, maybe for you, it did too, was I, I didn't have that, that great story and that clear notion between concern and influence. That's really good. But I, now that I'm reflecting on this, hearing you tell that story, part of what I was trying to do with my unsettled Trumpedness was to say, what can I do? What, what's, what's something I can do about it? Yeah. There's not a lot of things, right? I've got a very, I've got a very limited palette of what good I am for the world. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty short lived. I see that so sign back there. It's growing. It's greater. Uh, so it, it's, it was a small list of things that I could do that uh, would allow me to make some contribution to use my influence in some way. I think that, that, this having this project to do for me on Thursday nights released a lot of energy for me of Good. who else I needed to talk to these things about. Right. I think other people in my life were, were happy. This was happening. <laughs> and, Still and, uh, check to come. <laughs> that's right. And it, and it allowed me to have a, a creative outlet. Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of people who feel torn about this topic or any others is if you can create some kind of a, some kind of an outlet, something that you, that you can do. I, I am a verbal processor and someone who needs to sort of be doing and fidgeting, right? I move around a lot. I, I have to talk to think all of that. So I had to put myself in a situation where that was the case. Yeah. What's not good for me is to sit uh, on my phone and read articles about other people who were doing what they could to make a contribution and me just becoming a consumer of that. Yeah. So I think that's another thing that helps people um, to engage in conversations that are, are not um, always positive for them or they're not sure how they're going to go is if this is, if that conversation is what you've determined to be your primary or only outlet, you now are not talking about the thing you think you're talking about. Hmm. You are talking about a whole set of other issues. Yeah. Um, and that poor person that you're talking to right now just doesn't, they can't possibly follow along. And th I think there were times where people who watched and listened to us, that that became evident that either of us was talking about something that carried a level of importance that the other one of us didn't fully uh, recognize, right? So, yeah. and the thing I think worked well for us was we didn't, I never felt the pressure to have to make you care about the thing I cared about. And I never felt that you were doing the same, but I think a lot of people find themselves in a situation where that's, that's, that's what it's becoming is this is my outlet and I don't really have another place for it. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets, it, it gets a little destabilizing when your I, when your when your identity and your world that gets constructed around you gets constructed around concepts, 
Like, yes. I know that I'm good because I'm, you know, a conservative Trump supporter. Uh, and I, yeah. you know, I did my, you know, this is not what I think. But, you know, when we build ideas around concepts and we build yeah. identities that get constructed around our perception of ourselves in the world based on the things that we think and the performance and the production that we do in the world, then if, if you come in here and you start thinking very different than me, yeah, I mean, you're messing with my foundation, man. We're not just talking ideas anymore. You're like, you know, kicking underneath me the edifice that I've constructed my identity on. And rightly so, should someone respond in defense um, when the foundation of their men mental construction and the way they move in the world, when someone begins to assault that, you know, yes. we need to be defending it. But the problem is, is that that's like building your house on the sand. Everyone's yeah. going to, ideas get assaulted all day long. And if your concepts and your world's built on ideas and concepts, you know, you're in for a pretty uh, destabilizing, unhappy existence. Yeah, you know, a, a tip that I would give for people on, on that note is remove from your vocabulary and certainly from your lips the statement, you're just being defensive. If you feel like the person you're in a conversation with is being defensive, First of all, drop the word just, because that's a, that's a minimizing word. Limiting. And ask yourself if you care about whatever it is that they feel is under attack mm. as much as they care about it. Yeah. Because if you don't care about what they care about that seems to be under attack, you've crossed the boundary of goodness and generosity and love and all the things are going to make the world a better place and are now into the world of violence and destruction and, and harshness. And we don't always know what it is that uh, someone is trying to defend. It might be something very, they might not know. They, to, to your point, any of us tends to know that something's under attack when we find ourselves getting defensive. Yeah. Right. Right. So when you, when someone else is getting defensive, the 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 person who's sort of in the you know in the assertive side of that they, they have a question to ask themselves how important is it that we keep going on this line of thinking if i don't know what you're being defensive about and if i don't know the last thing you want to do is just minimize it by saying well if you weren't being defensive right now we could talk about this and they're saying well if you weren't you know attacking my sense of, of well-being and then the person says well i'm not and that's not the point now we're the off to the races yeah so that, 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 that notion that someone feels under, under attack uh, is not the, that the determination of someone being under attack is not determined by the person who is, do, who is perceived as doing the attacking. It is, the, it, is the, it is in the purview of the person who feels that they're attacked. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a necessary... Um, uh, understanding of, of what belongs on which side of the conversation. Yeah. And that's a, that's a pretty high level relational skill too. Um, you know, because that comes with a, with a genuine degree of empathy, uh, for people, um, and an awareness that, you know, you'd rather stay in connection and concern for other people than, than be right or win and recognize that just because someone is feeling attacked, doesn't mean that you're a bad person for what you're saying, but it, it right. does mean that there's some wisdom in maybe uh, taking a step back and stopping what's going on. Um, you know, in the larger context of that, you know, I mean, that, that's, I think that that's a really important, really important way of moving in the world. Um, there's some practical implications of that as you work that idea out into larger culture that get a little bit sticky, uh, you know, I think because, I think it's a reality in the human psyche that when you can't control your own emotions, you have to control other people's behavior. Yes. Yeah. And, and controlling other people's behavior is not a fruit of the spirit, uh, nor is it conducive to uh, a healthy, free, uh, productive, you know, virtuous. Yeah. Life. So, so, so can I make a comment about that where I think, because I, I think that's a good clarifier. What I would say about that is when you, when you're experiencing that someone's being defensive and feels attacked, then I think you have this choice, like I mentioned, right? That you have a choice. What are you going to do right now? 
And sometimes the answer might be, I don't understand that. I can't do anything about it, but it's important for other reasons that I finish my thought or continue this conversation. And that's on your side. I'm not responsible for it. What I'm getting at is to not dismiss the experience the other person is having. You don't own it. You're not responsible for it, but you also don't dismiss it. Right. That's good. There's some place in between where you say, it's not mine, it is yours, but I recognize it. And by recognizing it, I will decide what I'm going to do with that fullness of knowledge that you were kind enough or uh, willing enough or habited enough to share with me by the fact that your face is turning red or you're shaking your heads or your eyes, your eyes are, are water, well, whatever's happening, right? That yeah. makes someone uh, de- demonstrate that. And that base level of empathy is yeah. what the human being is capable of. I think it's one of the greatly underdeveloped human capacities that um, our spirituality should, should lead us more deeply into and not further away from. And that's one of the great fears that I have about modern day, um, many people's modern day experiences of, of spirituality in public arenas is that there almost seems to be a choosing of a personal ethic and, and the, the spirituality that allows us to have the confidence to, to champion important things that is not equally being matched by a sense of empathy for the reality of other people who experience um, something differently. Because mm. you don't, in fact, agreeing with someone about the topic is not empathy. It's, it's actually could be the opposite of it. You, you, don't have to, uh, you don't have to embrace them. You just agreed with them. Yeah. Uh, right. So you, you, you shared something in common and didn't have to cross the Rubicon of finding that thing that they had available for you that you didn't share in um, until they shared it. Yeah. And that, 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 I mean, that's a significant problem. And, you know, it's like the, uh, on both sides of that coin, there is, there is, uh, I don't want to say bastardization or just a corruption, right? On one side, it's the lack of empathy that says, you know, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm not socially responsible for you. You know, I'm doing my thing. I've got freedom of choice. You know, you can pry this out of my gun, out of my cold, dead hands when you step on my private property and just sort of like all the worst things about um, individualism and private property and private rights and individual rights with a lack of empathy, you know. But on the other side, you know, this extreme side of empathy means that just because I feel something means that I'm going to then go out and because I have a negative emotion, I'm going to go out and try and control you so that I don't have negative emotions. And it turns into a very controlling in the same kind of way that individual personal rights gets very controlling. You know, that empathy placed on other people can turn into an exceedingly controlling and domineering um, way of moving in the world. And you're just living in that middle in that wholeness where you've got, responsibility, not for somebody, but to somebody. And I think yeah. the difference for me is I'm not responsible for your emotions, but I'm responsible to speak in an honoring way and to love you well. Um, yeah. And that, you know, that's I'm not responsible for you, but I'm responsible to love you, honor yeah. you and move in the world in the way that I think is redemptive. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, that sits at the heart of when we're willing to offer ourselves to another person in a conflictual conversation. What a lot of us aren't, and I put myself in this category and in the, all of us on this one, uh, not on every topic. Do I feel like I, I want to be in a fully engaged, fully reconciled relationship with someone that I'm exchanging ideas with, right? I, I don't, that's not actually what I'm doing. I'm conveying an idea and that's it. And it's not personal or interpersonal mm-hmm. and separating out our, our sense of ex- self-expression from our relational requirement. That's where it gets curious. Yeah. Right? And the w- reason I think this is a worthy conversation on this particular Thursday night is because next Thursday night, people are going to end up in intimate spaces where these conflictual topics come up, right? So if you've been used to only engaging with these topics in non-intimate spaces, like someone's kitchen or while you're eating or with kids around, um, it can be really, um, it can be really disheartening. Um, And if we don't know why something is important to someone, 
it really diminishes our ability to understand what they're saying. I think there's two levels. You can understand what someone's saying, and then at a deeper level, you can start to understand why that thing matters to them. And that starts to lean into that, to that empathy, empathy side. So I feel like to truly understand someone, this is what I think we've done pretty well and you've helped me to see in you is not just what you thought about something, but why that was important, why that mattered. And it wasn't up to me to agree with your rationale for the why. It wasn't even up for me to agree with your argument about the what. Understanding was my ability to comprehend these are the things that motivate Adam. And over the course of these, these, these weeks, that's been, it's been extremely enlightening to, to me. Yeah. Um, in fact, are you, are you ready to talk, talk about some of the particular things we learned uh, now that we've patted ourselves on the back sufficiently for 37 minutes about how well we've done with all Are we honorable and noble humans? Yes. If they could just be more like us, Adam. Yeah. I, the world would be a lot more like us. I know. I tell my wife that a lot. I don't think would be a great thing for everybody. Yeah. I, uh, why don't you go ahead and start with one? Uh, my battery is dying on my mic pack, so I'm going to quick change that, but I can hear you. Okay. okay. Duck out of this picture real quick. Okay. One of the greatest learnings that I, that I had, which struck me last week uh, after our conversation, because it was the sixth week and because we were able to talk about some topics that were really important to you, Adam, that were... Um, deeply that, that had more effect on your position of supporting Donald Trump, your own personal experience of a sense of calling, a sense of, uh, of, of personal spiritual experiences that allowed you to move into, in, into supporting Donald Trump in ways that surprised even you. That after that week, I realized that it took us six hours six separate installments over the course of a month and a half for us to get to the point where that story that you told me was I, that, that I could hear it, understand it and accept it in a way that I never could have week one or even week two, huh. that, that it took time for us to get to the point for you to share the fullness of that story to the degree that you did. Yeah. And, for me to be able to hear and understand that. And that putting into the equation frequency of conversation and time yeah. seemed really important. And so one of the learnings I had out of this is anytime there's conversations that are similar to this that don't benefit from those two factors, frequency and time, you're not getting the level of disclosure that you will when those two factors are at play. Well, I, I put in a third, frequency, time, and intentionality. Hmm. We were intentionally talking about these things in our time together. Yeah. So those three things brought that about that couldn't have been brought about before that. And I think sometimes we find ourselves frustrated at understanding another person. And some of it might have to do with the fact that uh, one or all three of those uh, frequency, intensity, or in intentionality and time are, are missing. So that was the, that was my big learning from last week. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that you were able to hear my crazy story and you know, <laughs> not dismiss it. And I, I am well aware that, uh, you know, that story that I told last week and some of the different pieces to it, you know, that it's, that it's not an easy thing to hear, you know, because there's so many pitfalls inside of that and so many opportunities. I mean, just the reality of the world is that the world is fraught with danger, uh, that we find ourselves living in a difficult, in a difficult space, and that you know, there's, there's danger at every turn, particularly when we come into spiritual conversations and, and God told me and personal encounters with the, with the divine and how we work that out in the world. And you know, I held a lot of that off the first week, you know, for some of those reasons of like, this isn't, you know, the leading question, um, you know, uh, but that kind of stuff can be understood when you build a little bit of credibility, you build some social capital with yes. the frequency, the time and the intentionality behind that. Um, you know, and then, you know, you gotta, you gotta make your peace with it. Like, okay. Uh, you know, what do I really think about that? And, you know, and so I, right. so, so let me off you. Let me, let me suggest how to let you off the hook on that for a little bit. Cause I, I, I get it that, you know, look, if, 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 if the 
times when I've had experiences that match something similar to that, if those that had the kind of impact or implication that someone was totally bothered that I had that, that outcome, uh, I'm not sure I would share it either. But, but I will say this, I'm not sure that your articulation that you had visions and a real sense that, that God was inviting you to support Donald Trump, that that is all that different. So hold with me, listeners, on this one for a minute. <laughs> that that's all that different than any of the rest of us having to explain why it is that we've come to any conclusion that we came to. It's an issue of, one, what do you think happens in the world? And two, where does someone draw their authority? And so if someone said, well, I looked at all the facts and I looked at all the data and I looked at all the, that might be true, right? They might've thought about the price of, you know, cattle in Idaho or the price of chickens in Africa or whatever it was we talked about in those other weeks. Those, those, those things are true. Way to do it. But, but what motivated the person to select those facts, those facts. Yep. among all the facts, trying to explain that one. And do you, really, is that, is that how you go about doing such a thing? I think we would all be shocked if somehow we could get deep inside of our own psyche to know why it is that we hold the opinions we hold. Yeah. The thing I'm convinced of as someone who's in the like belief and, and faith formation industries is we are not responsible for the things we believe. Most of us, most of the time, are trying to reconcile ourselves with the thoughts in our head. We are not in command and control of the thoughts that are in our head, of the passions we hold, of the things that matter to us, of the priorities that we're, that we're committed to. We are trying to figure those things out. They're dawning on us. They're coming to the surface much more than they are. There's some version of us that like picked them and then put them into our own heads. Yeah. So as, as true as it is that, oh, if someone claims the God authority, that shuts down the conversation. Truth be told, there's a lot of categories that shut down the conversation category. Yeah. You can claim so, the New York Times authority or the HuffPo authority and you're done. And you're done. Right. And, and so I, even though it's, it's, it, it, I found it to be very helpful because of its peculiarity to show, I think we're all a little bit like that. On the other hand, I did finish the conversation and went upstairs and some people were here, uh, my wife and a person staying with us. And I said, man, if he just started the whole thing with that, we would have had a totally different conversation over the last couple of weeks, right? And that's when I realized uh, yeah, what we didn't have was it, that did not exist as a part of, the, of our discussion because it wasn't available to the two of us yet. So it wasn't something that could have been shared. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think that's correct too. Um, I mean, there was something that you just said that I was thinking about. Um, oh yeah, the, I really like that, that point about just we're not in command of the thoughts that come into our heads, you know? And, you know, I've been listening to this podcast by this guy, Jordan B. Peterson in, um, in Toronto. He's a professor and he's, he's I, guess, I guess he's considered to be an atheist, but he's doing a series of biblical lectures. Uh, it's just fascinating. Um, nice. Uh, fascinating guy, but... But from of his from some of his psychological you know training, he's a clinician and a and a PhD you know researcher and, and professor. Uh, he was sort of reinforcing some of what you said there, just that that the thoughts we're not in control of our desires, like our yearnings are stuff that just kind of comes in to our minds. And and I mean that that's that's an unnerving thought for a lot of people. Um, I think it's an accurate one, and I think that psychology and we know so little about the brain. Um, even with the expansive capacities that we've, we've, we've gained in the last couple of decades. But the real question isn't, you know, how do things get into my mind? Because right. they just show up. The question is, what do I do with them when they arrive there? And that, you know, I've wrestled for a long time as somebody who, you know, obviously last week, some of my friends, you know, texted me. They're like, I'm so proud of you. You added yourself as a prophetic charismat. I'm like, oh. Maybe there's even, uh, there's even a category for that. There's a, there's a whole name. There's oh, a whole yeah. label. I mean, you know, people label anything, Doug. I mean, come on. I'm labeled as love. Oh. I'm sorry. You have to wear that on your t-shirt to make it true. I just, yeah. 
I'm wearing a love t-shirt because it's not in my heart. It's on my heart. (laughs) But the, uh, you know, I mean, I've spent much of my life hearing things in my head, right? Mm -hmm. And, and thinking that that was some kind of a weird, non-normal human experience, you know? And whether they're intrusive thoughts or they're negative emotions or the things that I associate with the divine as I've, as I've cultivated more of an understanding about that process. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, we've got to learn what to do with uh, the things that come into our head. And in some of the charismatic tradition, as you pursue the prophetic, you know, there's three main parts to this. There's revelation, interpretation, and application, right? So you get a thought. How do I process that thought and interpret the meaning? And then how do I apply that out in the world? And the revelation or the thoughts, you're not in control of the thoughts, but the interpretation of the thoughts, how you process that data, and then how you apply that in the world, that's the domain of human agency in community and why all the stuff that we're doing and we're talking about tonight with affection and, and time and the you know, space that you're talking about, that's that domain of interpretation and application of the things that come into our heads. Um, and when well, I the reason you're hearing, I think the reason you're hearing things in your head is because that's how ears work. They go right into your head. Yeah, but, no, but when no one's talking and you're still hearing things, when the mind is still, I know I'm just going to keep going because that, that's, that's, thank you. Yeah. I'm not even sure my fifth, fifth five-year-old would have laughed at that. But. I hope not. I hope it's at least seventh grade humor. <laughs> you're super All right. Here, here's, here's, here's my last input on, yeah. on what I think we did well and would be a good tip for people. And then we should spend at least 35 seconds on what we should have done better. We didn't shy away from talking about the important and more difficult parts of all this. And I think that helped to get through. What happens in a lot of circumstances is that we, all of us find ourselves getting particularly nervous when we're going to start to broach a topic that's more difficult and it's easy to pull away or to get overly aggressive with it. And we didn't shy away. And I don't think we got bullying with the, with the more difficult topics. And one has to do that. I think we were both able to say things that we knew the other person would say like, well, no, that's totally not how I would see it. And it's, but that allowed us to create a sense that both of us mattered in the conversation. So when people are at these dinners or with their family, um, I, I would just, I would encourage people to measure themselves and everything else, but say the thing that you think you need to say. Yeah. Like the last thing you want to do in any healthy conversation like this is to feel like you're bottled up, you're controlling yourself, or you don't have the opportunity to say it. So I would encourage people to say more often than most of us find ourselves being willing to do. Uh, around those those more difficult things that even the things that you think don't aren't aren't going to land all that well. Yeah. And and then you got to pick pretty carefully, right? There's no reason to be, you know, personal about it. But if it's personal to you, then it becomes something really important. And and I think we did that pretty well. And I think it was crucial to the to the conversation we're having. I didn't feel like there was any topic that we dodged. Yeah. And and I think that 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 first person language I think is a key. Um, I mean, it can it can turn into kind of a a, a weapon too, but being able to say, my experience was this, I felt this. When we turn the language externally focused and you know, if I began to talk to you about you, you know, this is what you're doing or you know, I disagree with this because of you know, when you say this, this is what you're saying. Um, to be able to say the hard things is not just like, you know, I'm just saying or I'm keeping it real, it's just an excuse to be a jerk uh, for a lot That's of right. people. And that's not productive. And that's not even, you know, expressing your authentic self. You just, you're just going to be mean and rude to people and put them down. Like that's not the kind of language that liberates and sets you free. But to be able to say the hard thing of, man, I really believe this. I really believe that Trump is a a white Nazi supremacist and I'm worried that he's reestablishing the Aryan race. Um, I'm glad to hear you say that, Adam. (laughs) Adam, I think we just lost your, I think we lost your mic. All right, everybody listening to that. Just had to turn that down. See, you make one joke. You make one joke like that. 
was just I was just telling the people you make one joke like that that I did there, and all of a sudden we're 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 in for trouble. And Adam, I would agree with you. I would totally agree with you on, uh, I guess the fact that seven weeks we're now running out of energy uh, is a, a truism that is played out in the fact that the, the battery pack is, is also having trouble. Oh, that's a beauty, I got, I got, I am back. Yep, fixed just like that. Okay, so so before the uh, but before the shakedown, yeah, you you were saying that even if someone had to express something that was, you know, I was really concerned that Donald Trump was dog whistling to a whole community of people, and it's going to cause us real problems, has and is going to continue to cause us real problems. Yeah, um, and and that that matters that people yeah. say those things. Well, and that you say that in the language of this is what I think, and I think this, and I'm passionate about this, like, and these are the reasons. Or if you don't have reasons, just say man, I just really think he's doing this. That's yep. very different in a relational context than sitting at the table, looking at everyone who disagrees with you and saying, you guys are so wrong. This is what he is doing. And yes. that, that same language, maybe with a little more fingers, um, but saying, this is what I believe. These are why I believe it. And even if you don't agree with me, I'm going to state it and not feel inflamed that's just a very different way of communicating than declaring it and making other people, because then people get defensive because they don't agree and you're telling them that's the way it really is. And you know, that, you know, there's, there's difficulty, I think when that comes around. So part of this whole project was to try to see if in live real time, we could be in a conversation by which my primary question and dilemma, how could a Christian leader support Donald Trump and what went into that? And why was that a choice that a person would make if we held such similar faith and um, common good kinds of commitments? Uh, can you believe I am having technical difficulties on the recording end as well? Incredible. Unbelievable. I'm just going to wait for a second. People that are, that are on there because there's, a, there's an audio podcast of this and the audio podcast piece that I'm that I'm recording to uh, just gave a little pause here. See the live is okay. here for a moment and then the recording is here forever. Isn't that something? I mean, so it's like six weeks of this and, and almost no trouble whatsoever. And now here on the seventh week, we're being too friendly uh, with each other. If we need more conflict. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's all, it's all this pride uh, that we're, that we are. If I had a little humility, I'd be perfect. It's great. Um, I don't even remember what I was just saying right there. You were saying something smart about the thing that you were thinking. Thank you. The project here was how could we understand, how could I come to understand someone who I have such similarity with on one level, but then thoughts concluded so, so differently about, uh, about Donald Trump. And I was trying to solve a lot of problems. And this is one of the, the, the points that, that, that I want to make. This project, in one way, when I say it like, well, this is pretty simple. I'm just trying to solve that problem. I was actually putting on you this deep burden to explain evangelicalism, to sort of uh, explain conservatives that weren't willing to hold to their conservative value. How could a Christian person, like there was all kinds of agenda in the question that rooted this, this project together, right? This idea that I was just asking you just, hey, if you could just explain to me why this is true for, you know, whatever, 20 million people. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, that project in and of itself was really unfair. Right. It's really unfair to say to somebody, well, yeah, you're going to be the you're going to be the uh, uh, the the one who has to explain all of these. On the other hand, I think I actually came to understand those things. I, I really think over the course of this project and for me having to think about it in the way that I was invited to think about it through this project and talking to a lot of other people. I do think if someone asks me, why did Adam at the end, why do you think he voted for Donald Trump and continues to, to support Donald Trump? I think I can talk about, there was personal experience, there was a real sense of a desire for the United States to be in a different way and position that was not at all possible with Obama and with Clinton, and that you saw it really, even as an imperfect vessel, it was quite important that we move this way, that there was a 
pretty deep sense that there were left out peoples that needed to be uh, listened to and that the status quo as it is, is as much the problem as any particular candidate. And if you don't turn over that apple cart, if you don't disrupt the temple, if you don't spill the tables, then you're just going to be continuing on with some minor adjustment of the of personality differences from one leader to the next. And that yeah. and those things come together as sort of a good enough candidate on the conservative stuff. But this idea that globalism is a real problem, we really have to uh, experience have people experience a government in a different way. This binary choice was amazingly clear to you and your own personal experience uh, that, that that was in there. I will still say, good my last moment. You know, I can't just I, let it sit there. Got it. Don't understand the evangelical because I you didn't have to explain that tribe to me, and I'm going yeah. to try to figure that out another way. I don't understand how the peoples who argued for so many years about a, what it was that drove them to be conservative voters seem to have set that aside because um, I'm I'm still truly, truly perplexed. I would have been perplexed by this had Donald Trump not won. Donald Trump had, you know, if Russia hadn't tipped the scales in all those states, I, I still would have been asking this question. What was going on with that large group of evangelicals? Yeah. Um, that they were, that, that unless all of them had the, the third level experience or fourth level experience of personal calling that you had, it still befuddles me, but, but I think, I think I got it. I think I got, uh, well, well, that's what I got. And I feel like I, I feel like that reflected what, what I was hearing from you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Where did I that's a good, good, accurate reflection of it. Um, you know, those are, those are some of the key things. And, you know, I, I appreciated being put on the spot to, you know, answer for those large groups of people, uh, as well, you know, because, you know, I'm trying to grow my influence, right? So if I can speak for 20 million people, uh, but, big deal. but really, I mean, that put me in a position where I had to think through not just my own ideas, but I, you know, I got asked to, you know, think on this capacity. And so I started reading more and started engaging with some of what those people were thinking and writing and speaking. And, you know, that was, that was a real meaningful exercise for me. Um, you know, I, I would have loved to have come into a bit more understanding about you and your perspective and how you move in the world. And, you know, maybe, maybe when you come to San Antonio, I can grill you on some things, uh, you know, cause I genuinely want to understand that too. Um, yeah. but, and I, I do, I mean, I sent you that, that article, um, the Fox news opinion article that Cal Thomas wrote. And I, I've never really been a strong like identifier with an evangelical right-wing voting block. Um, yeah. and I, I think that th that is a, uh, you know, like, like the democratic parties in the throes of a pretty significant upheaval. I think that that, that demographic on the right is in a very significant, um, soul searching right now. Um, and my hope and my prayer is that really the people come out on the other side of it, deeper connected to not just their principles and the long-term ideals that they've held. But, you know, we got to get, we got to re-engage with each other, the other side. And, you know, my personal belief is get re-engaged with the divine and not just my concept about him um, yeah. or her. They, Zeta. Adam, thank you. This has been a, a true treat. I'm going to miss you next week. Well, if you want to FaceTime me into your awkward Thanksgiving celebration, I'll share mine with you. You know, the, the, the part of the awkward conversation I'm going to be having is people around that are like, hey, how'd that, how'd that podcast thing go that you did with that guy on Facebook? Because um, many or all of the people who are on both sides of this, uh, of, of the opinion about Donald Trump, will be at that meal and know about this conversation. So I can say, oh, this is what we talked about. And I can just totally dodge. No, Good. I won't. I will try to Good. Well, I'll, I'll be in my right wing echo chamber on Thanksgiving morning, so I'll be good. Yes. All right. Well, thankful for you and uh, thankful for all these uh, people who participated with us over these weeks. Thanks for, for watching, for people for uh, uh, sharing this podcast. I know that happens a lot and I certainly appreciate it. We hope uh, that it's good for you and you do what you want with it. And 
don't know, maybe more is coming in this, this sort of line of things. So we'll see people later. All right. We'll see Antonio sometime. You're All right, welcome. buddy. We'll see you, Doug. All right.